Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We are now on our 13th episode of 2021. You know, later today in Pittsburgh, President Biden will be announcing his $2 trillion infrastructure package, which he's calling the American Jobs Act. This plan will include $100 billion to connect every American to high-speed broadband over the next eight years. That's $100 billion to connect every American to high-speed broadband over the next eight years. Plan also seeks to encourage adoption by reducing the cost of internet service long-term. The Fiber Broadband Association made an audacious ask of $100 billion to get the job done, connecting every home across this nation with fiber broadband, and we're excited the American Jobs Plan aligns with our advocacy. We still have a lot of work ahead of us to gain bipartisan support, and we're continuing our efforts to meet with Republican congressional offices including later today and for weeks to come. So speaking of the network, that brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session, where we'll be discussing the pandemic network performance. Before I formally introduce our guests, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers from our team, who will walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us. I'm gonna quickly go over a few logistical items. If you would all keep in mind that everyone is in listen mode only. To ask a question, please type it into the questions box located on your control panel toward the right side of your screen. We will host a Q&A session toward the end. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members on FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a very brief feedback survey. We are paying attention to what you say and we appreciate your input. I'll now pass it back to Gary to introduce our panelists and get us started. Thank you, Trish. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And I'm very excited about today's episode of Fiber for Breakfast, as we have network engineering and policy guru, and my good friend, Dr. Douglas Sicker with us today, to discuss pandemic network performance. Dr. Sicker is the executive director of BTAG, which is the Broadband Internet Technology Advisor Group. That's a multi-stakeholder collection of our industry's top internet pioneers and network experts. For Doug's day job, he's the Senior Associate Dean of Computing at the University of Colorado and the co-director of the Institute for Regulatory Law and Economics. Previously, Doug was the Lord Endowed Chair in Engineering, Department Head at Carnegie Mellon, and the DBC Endowed Professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder. He has also served as the CTO at the FCC and the CTO at NTIA, as well as the Chief of Network Technology Division at the FCC, way back when I first met him in the 1990s. So welcome, Doug. I know that BTAG's been working very hard on analyzing and studying how the increase in demand during the pandemic has affected various parts of the internet ecosystem. And I'm anxious to hear your analysis and findings and recommendations. You know, for our audience, please you know, type your questions as we go on our Q&A and we'll get that to the end of the presentation. So over to you, Doug. 
Thanks, Gary, and thank you for that kind introduction. Um, and let me turn and say, uh, I think that the Fiber Broadband Association couldn't have a, a better lead, and I'm thrilled to see Gary in that role. Um, he brings both uh, technical confidence and a, an astute awareness of what's going on in the commercial world uh, to all of the issues that are happening in DC. So really wonderful to have him in this position. So as Gary said, um, I'm the executive director of BTAG, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Um, but let me first preface that um, with a, just a really brief bit on what's going on with this report. Um, so the report's going to be out this week. Um, we've been working on it for about 110 days, which was uh, the shot clock, which I'll talk about in a moment. I will say, please do read it. I'm only going to be able to touch uh, across the surface on any of my discussion today. Uh, there's a lot of breadth and depth in the report that I'm just not going to be able to get to. Uh, I tried to pull out what I thought was interesting and, and maybe even a little controversial for this team. So uh, we'll see what, uh, what, what questions uh, come out of it. As Gary mentioned, um, BTAG's this group that's been around uh, for about 10 years now, and it was really motivated by the Open Internet Order. And what we do in BTAG is we bring together technical experts uh, from across uh, kind of the internet ecosystem. And sorry, I won't use that term again, but it's, it's, in, the, uh, it's in the bylaws. Um, and what we really do is we focus on educating and providing a technical baseline for policymakers. Uh, what we've heard in our discussions on the Hill and at the different regulatory agencies is what's really valuable about BTAG is that we get a whole bunch of people in a room from all of the different stakeholders and we say, hey, what is the um, baseline technical conditions that we can uh, describe and present? to the regulators. Um, and they find that very satisfying because it's a way of them knowing that there's a common starting point. Um, everybody in BTAG is technically uh, focused. They, have, they tend to be senior engineers uh, from within their organizations. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a shot clock, which is really important. Uh, we turn around from when we start the topic in 120 days to finish the topic. And we've just gone through a big revision of how uh, BTAG operates to make it more streamlined over the last year. Uh, and it's, uh, the proof is in the pudding in that we have this uh, report out and we got it done in 110 days. So it's been really great. Uh, of course, why we strive for the multi-stakeholder organization structure is that we have balanced participation. So we make sure, and we'll, I'll show you in a moment, uh, the participants, we make sure that everybody needs to be at the table is at the table. And um, we strive for these consensus-based decisions. And we've had, in all 10 reports that we've had to date, we've had full consensus. Um, and that's been just great. So this is a, a real quick uh, description of uh, who are the participants. Uh, I don't want to go into detail about the list uh, right now, but what I will point out is we changed our general operating procedure on who participated in reports in this last report. And what we did was we opened it up to anybody who has a technical uh, knowledge in the area, in the domain area, who wanted to participate and agreed to the, to the norms of the organization. And for this performance report, you know, you should see some names up there that won't surprise you, like Sam Knows and 
uh, Nokia's Deep Field and uh, Okla and a lot of these in Sandvine. So these are the organizations we wanted at the table because they measured the internet. That proved to be very useful um, because in this report, what we did was we went out and we said, hey, how can we gather all of the information and process it in a way uh, that's meaningful to say something useful about what happened in the network over the last year? And again, that's how we approached it. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak a little bit more to that in a moment. Uh, next slide, Trish. So um, I've alluded as, as Gary to the kind of the motivation a little bit. Um, what we wanted to do in this report was really look at all of the different parts of um, the uh, internet ecosystem. Uh oh, I said it again, sorry. As, as you all know, when COVID hit, when this pandemic hit, um, we had this major shift of where people were working and where they were going to school. Uh, they all shifted to, to stay at home. And as a result, this cost a very tremendous uh, shift in uh, traffic on the internet. And it provided this, this opportunity to really look at what did that event do uh, to the internet. And as I mentioned, um, we took that opportunity to look for the public data as well as getting private data, analyze that data, and report back on our observations and our recommendations. And what we found in many ways was not so surprising in terms of um, how it held up, how the internet held up under the strain, but it did show us, uh, what I thought was very useful is it did show us where the stress points were. And um, probably more importantly, some of the successful things that have changed over the last five, 10 years on the internet and its consequences. So um, again, just for uh, completeness, uh, I'll mention that you know, the report's gonna be published uh, this month. The editors, who are not the authors, the editors are just, just that. They just um, edit the content from all the participants who I showed earlier, uh, were Matt Tooley and Kate Lando. Uh, and uh, one was from N uh, NCTA and the other from DISH. Uh, but as I said, we had a, a really great participation across um, of a multi-stakeholder groups of all of the different parts of the internet, but with a real strong focus on those who measured the internet. The one last thing I wanted to say before I kind of dig in on some of the observations, and, and as I said, you really need to go back and read the report because there's so much in it to, to cover. What we saw very clearly was um, an opportunity to look at how the internet evolved and how that, the consequence of that, that, of that evolution. So we've seen things like the adoption of um, higher speed broadband technologies, access technologies. We've seen the adoption of uh, CDNs, of cloud infrastructure, of, of different internet interconnections, as well as congestion management strategies, all having a hand in really uh, allowing the internet to, to have been as resilient as it turned out to be. If these things hadn't happened, there's no way we could have acquired, or we could have uh, stood the, that shift, that dramatic shift to work at home and, and school at home. Um, just, um, you know, people always think about the video conferencing as the, the big change in terms of what happened across the internet, but there was, there was much more than that when you look at the mix, and I'll, I'll speak to that in a moment. But certainly, uh, all of that technolo technology change that has happened 
in the kind of the last 10 years of the evolution of the internet has had a direct impact on that ability for it to be as resilient as it was. And I think one of the other interesting things that came out, and I've had discussions with leadership from different uh, companies, is that this event also allowed for carriers to think about how they view disaster planning um, across the, the network. Um, this was a disaster that happened across the entire network, which is a little unusual. Most, mostly when these disasters occur, it's a hurricane or a tornado or a flood event or something like that. And seeing it across the whole internet and seeing how the impact and the shift of how the uh, operations occurred really sh uh, shined the light on what teams needed to be stood up. And I'll, I'll speak a little bit to that as well as I go through the next slide. So we again, approach this across the whole um, uh, internet from user device through the home to the different access networks to all the different components in the core of the network that we think of all the way out to the um, edge application. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising, right, that um, we've seen these changes, again, as I pointed out, from cloud adoption as well as broadband, you know, higher data rates and broadband access. But all of these things together has really created a different kind of internet. And um, again, um, what I think is more important is just to pause and think about what we found uh, when we looked at each of these uh, parts and pieces. So these are very terse uh, kind of high level observations. Again, in the report, much, much more detail. But what I wanna do is I wanna walk from the left-hand side of this diagram into the internet, uh, to the other edge, uh, to the application side, and uh, talk about some of the uh, observations that we that we found. Um, one of the first things that we saw, um, and again, we went out and, and talked to manufacturers as well as supply chain entities, was um, the upgrade of user devices. Not surprisingly, you know, we had this huge influx of people buying better monitors, better tablets, cameras, uh, sound equipment for setting up uh, offices and, and uh, school environments at home. And um, that actually had an impact because a lot of the devices that were bought actually uh, had higher bandwidth demands. So we actually saw at the edge, at the very edge of the network, uh, the devices that were uh, being attached actually caused an increase in the, uh, in the demand on the network. I think by now this is a, a pretty well understood uh, phenomena, but um, one of the things that still is happening and still causing problems is in, within the home network, uh, people using older Wi-Fi technology and all of the performance implications of that. Um, we were seeing that you know, 802.11b and n were still being deployed, um, where you know, Wi-Fi 5 and, and, and now Wi-Fi 6 is coming out and 6E uh, is coming out. <clears throat> so um, I'll come back to that in a moment on recommendations, but um, a big impact on the home network was uh, the realization that the Wi-Fi infrastructure, both in terms of the devices as well as the placement, um, even, the, even the broadband routers were all in need of adjustment. And that was one of the things that really, when that got solved and when, when some of the problems within the home network actually resolved, um, the network started operating much better um, for the consumer's experience. 
as we move in, uh, not surprisingly, um, we saw dramatic growth on access networks, uh, both in the um, download, uh, downstream and upstream uh, direction. And of course, we saw a bigger increase in the um, in the upstream. Um, and uh, and I'm I'm hoping for some questions on this. Um, while we saw um, a growth in the upstream, it was still uh, a highly asymmetric um, uh, traffic pattern that we that we found across uh, all of the different ISPs that we that we looked at. Uh, but nonetheless, it did sh shine the light on the need for um, upstream bandwidth, and uh, that kind of event put put strains on on the network as a result. Um, we also saw just a, a fundamental shift in the flow of traffic across the in internal aspects of the of the network. We saw where traffic um, uh, asymmetries uh, between connections actually flip as a result of uh, stay-at-home events. Um, one of the biggest things uh, at the beginning and really caused a lot of crisis, particularly uh, in the uh, enterprise space, was um, and in campus, was the impact of older uh, centralized VPN uh, systems. These virtual private networks um, kind of had this model of you know being in place to enable users, small users, small groups of users rather, uh, the ability to dial in behind, into through a firewall into an enterprise to get access to a resource. And of course, with the emergence of the cloud, that is a different model. Uh, the need for a centralized VPN, the need for um, hosting things locally, uh, the need for the, the kind of the firewall uh, infrastructure um, has, has, has slowly eroded uh, with the adoption of cloud-based infrastructure and single sign-on and, and other sorts of capability. But when the uh, pandemic first hit, um, both enterprises and campuses were strained. And I got to see it uh, for both, uh, both uh, from some of the commercial stuff that I do as well as on campus. Uh, and you know, we had network architects scrambling to fix uh, some of those problems. Um, but again, good news is if, uh, if a lot of stuff hadn't shifted already to the cloud, we would have really been focused. Moving further in, you know, we I mentioned the you know one of the things that saved our butts was the adoption of CDNs, and the reason that is is that you know CDNs push. Uh, so much of the content, uh, particularly for consumer networks, uh, toward the edge uh, or one hop in. And uh, you know, at this point, somewhere between 80 and 90% of the traffic that's downloaded into a consumer home comes off of a CDN. Um, that might be a little high, those, those numbers, with some of the adoption of uh, some more of the video conferencing capability, but, but still uh, a, a large part of it had shifted. And that infrastructure had been put in place, direct interconnections had been provided, um, a lot of these sorts of things that had happened. So uh, again, alleviated some of the stress on the network. Nonetheless, uh, CDN saw a huge uh, increase in use. Uh, and we also saw a huge increase uh, across um, the interconnection modes uh, into the backbone. Um, um, interestingly enough though, Backbone traffic um, didn't didn't increase as much as we had anticipated, uh, but again, that's kind of the effect of of things being held at the edge of the network. Um, as I mentioned too, we had a lot of these internet measurement groups 
participating in the report. And they, um, you know, had uh, very interesting data from a bunch of the different ISPs, a bunch of the different uh, technologies. Um, and while we, or, while most of our data uh, was analyzed towards the median, you know, looking at the middle of the of the pack of of what was happening, we tried at uh, as where at where we could to look at what the effects were on the tails of the uh, performance, where there there would be some some problems. And there was no question that some of the ISPs had um, uh, some some problems toward the beginning of the of the uh, pandemic and had to scramble to to resolve those in terms of uh, putting in additional infrastructure. Um, but you know that wasn't you know that wasn't really the purpose of the report was wasn't to point to individuals. What we do point to are are the weaknesses and where we thought uh, infrastructure needed to be uh, increased. Um, continuing toward the right, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up and, and move to the, uh, to the next slide real soon, um, is that we saw a radical increase in terms of the uh, video conferencing, uh, 300%. But with that said, that means that it only went from, um, you know, 1.5 to, you know, 6% or something like that, or a little less than that. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it didn't become 30, 40, 50 percent of the of the capacity. It was an increase down in the in the single digits. Uh, nonetheless, that did put uh, strain, particularly on on the uh, highly asymmetric um, uh, broadband service providers. And Gary, I know I got to wrap up, so I'm going to I'm going to move quickly through these. Um, these recommendations, none of them should surprise you because I kind of uh, hinted toward them. Um, you know, end users should certainly be upgrading to um, 802.11ax and, and technologies. Um, vendor uh, vendors should be implementing uh, active queuing management, where you where you're dropping packets to avoid uh, congestion within their devices. Uh, single sign-ons should be the norm, uh, as well as adoption of cloud-based infrastructure for a number of different reasons, as we discuss. Um, and you know, I think this is an important one, and, and one that I really stressed to be put in the report, which is network operators should be constantly building that infrastructure with enough headroom to be able to respond quickly. And I think this gets back to what Gary's introduction was, which is a lot of money is going to be made available for um, broadband. And I think this is where we really need to start thinking about, you know, how do we move those numbers? Um, I was a part of, uh, back in the 90s, the original specification of what constituted broadband data rates, which was incredibly slow at the time, uh, less than a meg. And uh, over time, we're, 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 we're moving up uh, in these data rates, but still, we certainly don't believe that 25.3 is a solution that's um, where we should be at this point. I certainly don't. And again, I'm not speaking for BTAC, I'm speaking for myself. Um, and I think this is that op this is that time for network operators to really take advantage of the push to upgrade the infrastructure and to move to something uh, of a much much higher uh, data rate. I'm going to skip the rest and uh, move to questions because I I into the a little bit into the question time. Gary, thanks, Doug. I really appreciate um, all the work that BDAG put into this, and uh, you know it's really timely to come out. You know the the first question that um, jumps up here, is, and I think you, you asked for it, but had a couple questions on, you know, what's the average upstream uh, stream speed you, you measured, and then kind of what was the 
uh, up and down ratio you found at peak times, especially during the workday? Yeah, so um, the ratios didn't exceed uh, 10 to 1, um, uh, down up, that is, I should say. Um, and that was measurements across um, a bunch of different um, network providers and even in the, even on the, on the, you know, not just the, in the medium. So um, we were looking, I was looking to see how that would collapse into ratios of, you know, seven to one or, or, or what have you. Um, but we, um, we certainly didn't have, which was some of the claims that it was 15 to one or things like that, but we were seeing 10 to one. And in terms of, um, of upload data rates, it, it did vary, right? And um, this is one of those areas where I, I think it's, uh, to, be, to be honest, you know, the adoption of higher upload speeds is, is justified. Now, I, I, I certainly won't go uh, to say that I think they should be symmetric. I mean, this is not something, I don't, again, I don't have a horse in this race, but um, I think uh, moving towards symmetry is, is a great thing. Um, uh, I think it's, you know, it's going to um, build a, a, a much better and more robust network. But I also think that asymmetry can, um, you know, a, a reasonably bounded asymmetric network uh, serves the demands of the users. Yeah, I mean, when I, you know, look at your report, and um, you know, I, I think it's almost intuitive that the the biggest bottleneck is the closer you get to the subscriber, right? So right. you start with, you know, the in-home wide, you know, the Wi-Fi and you know your, you know, your access um, to the internet, and so. You know, while in aggregate, you said that you know video was only single digits. Um, when you look at the at the end of the network, at the subscriber end, if you have you know your wife's you know say Lisa's doing her work from home, you're doing your you know school and work from home, um, and your kids are doing their stuff school and work from home. You know you're gonna have you have four people sitting there on the you know doing some kind of Zoom or Teams or some kind of two-way video. So in aggregate you know, looking at everything over the internet, it might be 6%, but at, at your house, the sicker household, it's pretty, pretty significant. I absolutely agree. Um, and, and you're right. So um, you, we, there's video, right? And then there's video conferencing. We saw video, we, we saw video increase hugely. So, you know, the Netflix and the Amazon uh, Prime kind of content. Uh, but we also did see, as you said, we did see, uh, particularly in the up, upstream um, pipes, at, at the edge, um, video conferencing um, dominating the, the percentages. Yes, that's, that's absolutely the case. One of the other questions that came in is, do you think widespread adoption of 10 gig pond will heavily affect end user um, traffic consumption? You know, I, I, don't have that, um, I don't have that ability to predict demand. Um, you know, that we know that the network continues to evolve. And if I, ask, if I understand the question, um, is it a, if they, if we build it, they will come sort of model. Uh, um, I think there's some some truth in that, right? Uh, I think that as we adopt um, additional broadband capability uh, at the edge of the network, both upstream and downstream, uh, that um, the vacuum gets filled uh, as a result. Um, but I also think that we need to be um, logical in terms of what we say is that, uh, what's the goal? And you know, th th this is the thing that's always had, had caused me some 
heartburn, which is the idea of a minimum broadband speed seems so relative. Uh, what should be broadband speed and um, you know, what the aspirational broadband speed should be versus what the minimum speed should be and um, what should be funded versus what should be expected, I, I think are, 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 you know, fundamentally different things. And, you know, I would hope that as we move forward, we'll see fiber pushed out further and further into the network. I certainly think that is, the, is a, a, a goal that we should all have. Um, but I also think that um, to think that we're going to have symmetric traffic demands. I think I would love to see from your members why that would be the case. Uh, I, I would love to see good studies showing so showing that. Gary, I'll send some over. We we have some, and uh, our technology committee looked at a family of four over the next ten years and um, a number of studies. So I'll I'll definitely send those over for some uh, few debates that we can have. Uh, so the, one of the things that jumped out when I first read the report. You know, the VPN versus single sign-on, you know, if I look at my previous employer, the pandemic hit, you know, the IT department was saying, okay, only get on the VPN if you need to and get off as soon as you need to. And they were reporting daily on, you know, where we are versus how much headroom we had on VPN. And, you know, so that was, seemed like the thing that they were most concerned about breaking. Um, I don't know if there's, it, it just, that was something that just like, aha, you know, single sign-on. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, you know, what we saw was um, the centralized VPN architectures um, and, you know, the whole the whole model of, of tunneling into a company to, to access a resource just introduced multiple bottlenecks that didn't need to be there when it could be um, accessed through single sign-on technology um, posted somewhere uh, logically in the cloud. Um, Again, these, when you think about these kinds of moves, in some ways they're mitigating uh, the problems of the of the of the current bottleneck, but they anticipate the kind of the future growth. Um, so what we saw with the VPNs, there were there were companies that couldn't couldn't do their 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 primary mission as a result of this because things were sitting behind firewalls, and and it's kind of it's kind of amazing. It just showed that they had. They had missed the mark in terms of, of kind of the evolution of, of the network and you know sometimes it's not even their fault sometimes software licenses require certain uh, implementations and you know overcoming those sorts of of uh, constraints uh, also had to had to happen what we saw though is that um, organizations that had made that shift uh, an organization that could make that shift um, were the ones that were able to survive Again, this does get back to kinds of models of you know where do you put the where do you put the bandwidth, and and this would drive you know I would argue a more robust access technology is one of the best investments that we could do because on in the core of the network we already have cloud infrastructure sitting you know at the uh, within the access network or a J or one hop after maybe two, so this is a model where you're distributing the content, distributing you know you're decentral you're continuing the decentralized theme of the internet, which is a, is a really good model. And bandwidth at the edge helps that one, right? That's, a, that's kind of an intuitive. So we're out of time, but I wanted to sneak in one last question, which I think is a good one. So what will be the effect of SD-WAN solutions as they're more openly adopted, especially in the home? I missed the, uh, I missed that, Gary. What would be the effect? Of SD-WAN solutions as they're more openly adopted, especially in the home? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, you know, all of these things, you know, just kind of drive the evolution of the network and drive uh, drive data rates. So, um, 
you know, um, I guess that's what I'd say. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Doug, always enjoy um, getting together with you and, uh, and, you know, hearing your insights on the network, especially as it relates to policy. Uh, next week, we're going to be speaking with Jimmy Todd, the CEO and general manager of Next Tech, on the impact of video streaming on the broadband network as we can continue to see rapid growth in over-the-top streaming services. You won't want to miss it. So thanks again for joining us today, and I look forward to getting back together with you guys next week. Can I, uh, can I say um, I'm easy to find on the internet. If you uh, want to drop me an email, uh, please do. Anyone has any questions that I didn't get to, happy to take this discussion uh, offline. Congratulations on the report, Doug, and look forward to hearing your announcement and uh, seeing the official version. <laughs>